and welcome to Map Bites episode 90. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, an app too many, saving money with dropshare and wildly rampant scepticism. But first, this lack of Wi-Fi on release day. It's catching, isn't it? It certainly is. Which intrepid map badge was caught short this time? Jane, in the wilds of Yorkshire, apparently. Let that be a lesson when it comes to planning holiday locations. Number one priority is good internet connectivity. Not so this time with Minster. No, he was safely at home and all his lovely Wi-Fi was dedicated to downloading MacBytes. In fact, he got back to us and he said, You've gone and done it to me again. Your lovely words on Mayer at the end of 89 made me think about Molly. I was a gibbering wreck. Sorry about that, Minster, but uh, I was the same when I heard it too. Yeah, sorry about that to the pair of you and everybody else all concerned. Um, but sincere thank you to all of you who reached out with your sympathies about Mayer. We really, really appreciate it. So how did you get on with Desk Scribble after I tempted you to give it a try last week? Yeah, this app is really handy for annotating the screen when delivering virtual training, which, as you and probably most of the MacBiters know, I do quite a lot. WebEx which I use a lot at work, has built-in annotation tools. Things like freehand, so we discussed that last week, didn't we? Um, drawing all over the screen. We did. And squares, Not squares and circles. Though. No, but we talked about the freehand and the, the, the snot and stuff. But uh, Now you've done it again now. I've got to put a warning out before you say things like that. People could okay, be eating warning. their lunch. Get on with it. Never mind. But you didn't say it. Carry on. Not a teddy skin it out. I've got the time. Uh, yes, WebEx has a number of built-in annotation tools like freehand and square circles and stuff. And in WebEx, whilst you are screen sharing, these can be used anywhere on the screen, but I find they're cumbersome to use because um, whilst the annotation bar is active, the mouse pointer can only be used to annotate. So if you want to do something else, you have to close the annotation bar and then reopen it when you next want to annotate. Now, Link, which is the other tool that I use for uh, virtual training delivery, doesn't have any annotation tools. It has a whiteboard, but I'm not counting that as an annotation tool because what I'm talking about is drawing things on the screen. If you want to, to highlight just a, a dialog box or something on the screen, that's what I'm talking about. Now, with Desk Scribble, the app can remain open and you can easily enable and disable the annotation tool with a single click. Do you know, I never got that far with WebEx. It just crashed right and left on a Mac. Oh, OK. Well, Even just it, that, attending. That was in the old days. It's, it's, it's solid now. I used it today. I've used it on an iPad, uh, actually for presenting, but never on the Mac desktop, never got that far with it. But you mentioned um, that you can enable and disable the tools with a single click. There's also shortcuts for that too. So the C key um, gives you click-through mode. So when you've got uh, Desk Scribble active, even if you're in whiteboarding mode, you use that C key, it will allow you to click through to the desktop and move whatever's on the desktop. Cool. There's P for pen mode, E for erase tool. And I think I mentioned I'd made a global shortcut key of command option, control and S to activate it. So if you just remember those few keys, you can do everything you need to without even touching the mouse. 
Cool. Um, and it, there's other shortcut keys to increase the brush size, decrease the brush size, show and hide the colour palette and all of that as well. It's a really good app. It's worth, I think it was 6 dollars wasn't it? Yeah. I was going to use it today, actually, because I was delivering a WebEx session. But halfway through when I wanted to use it, I realised that I was actually using the Mac as the monitoring machine. And I was actually delivering the WebEx through the Windows machine. So it wouldn't have done me any yeah, good. Yeah, that won't work no. well. No, I know. No. They they were actually pushing it for kids. Are they? You know, to draw on the screen, yeah. All oh, right. And I thought, you know, I can imagine if this was pitched slightly differently, if it was pitched as a business app, I can see the price multiplying by ten. Mm. Just imagine that you, you that there was um, a platform out there, a conferencing platform that had all of that built in, and it worked as easily as that. They'd be charging hundreds for it. They would get it while it's cheap before they realise. Anyway, onwards, uh, we heard from Alistair with his thoughts about Aperture. Yeah, he said, I too was disappointed when the announcement came out that Aperture would be no more, but I think I've been far more disappointed by the hand-wringing coming from the user community. The, th the first things to consider are the facts. Aperture will be a going concern at least until the fall of 2015, most likely a lot later, as it'll be compatible with Yosemite, which will not see support until around fall 2017. Aperture is being replaced and you'll be able to migrate your library to the new product. There'll be a long overlap too, so no rush. And thirdly, nobody knows how photos will stack up against Aperture. There's been some good analysis of how photos might work and also some good analysis of the doomsaying that's been happening. And as for not being able to trust software that will stay around, which was a point that you made last week, well, that's been the case since forever. Have you still got those old DOS programs? No. What about HyperCard and MacPaint? Aperture is a lock-in. Well, bear in mind that it is retaining all your original files and can store your metadata in those same files in an industry standard way, but you won't be able to export your edits. Then again, neither can Lightroom, nor iPhoto, nor Photoshop. That is not a problem with the software, but the industry in which it operates, as there's no standard to describe photo edits. If you switch to Lightroom, you're setting yourself up for Adobe to leave you in the lurch in the future. But really, it all comes down to fact number three above. We don't know what will happen with photos, so why worry about it now? I'm really eager to learn what photos will be capable of, but from what I've seen and inferred, it'll be more than enough for me. Me, who can't stand iPhoto's simplistic tools and who uses probably 70% of apertures. I'm not worrying, not at all, because time is on my side. I can quite happily continue to use Aperture until long after Photos is released, probably several releases into Photos' lifetime. And then he signs off by saying, the death of Aperture, I can't wait. <gasps> Sacrilege! So, software company says they're discontinuing an application and users kick off over it. I think that sums it up from me in a sentence. To me, Apple aren't the only bad guys in town. It happens all the time. It's the way the software and, and services, software services industry is. Now, doesn't make it right. No, and having said that, I can empathise. You know, we've said this before. I've had people in tears at work because a the system they've used and they've trusted for years is going away uh, or 
no longer going to be available. You know, I can think of, of, of as I say, instances at work where we've used PSTs to store email and suddenly they're no longer going to be around and we're going to have to store our mail in a, an, an enterprise archive vault and then three years later they decide, no, we're not going to use the enterprise vault anymore because it's not compatible with our new email system. But you know what? Even in business, you get um, initially that you're not happy because all your data is locked away in a product X or you've developed a workflow or you, you're just used to using a particular app. And after a while, you realize you're not going to change anyone's mind. So if I'm going to be as blunt as Alistair, suck it up. Keep talking. Or should I say keep digging? Am I digging? I'm just yes. voicing opinion. Yeah. You know, I've used front page to create a website and You're admitting that publicly. I'm I've admitted that before on MacBytes, yeah. It's it's not my choice, it's what I was given to use at work. Um it's no more I have to go and find an alternative. Use I've used VB six to create applications. That's now been superseded by Visual Studio. Do you see Microsoft developers crying and hand wringing and whatever words Alistair used? No, they just get on with it, work out a new way of working. Another example close to our heart, recording notes for MacBytes. Um, you know, we started with Google Notebook, we then moved to Etherpad, we then moved to Google Wave. They've all sunsetted. So we've picked ourselves up, we've dusted ourselves down, we've found another way of doing it. That's my opinion. Just because we had to do that doesn't mean that that is what we wanted to do at no, the time. It Nor doesn't. does it mean that the system that we've ended up with now is better. We moved from, you're right, we had Google Notebook, Etherpad, Google Wave, and they went to Google Docs. Uh, I'm sure we tried a Dropbox system on the way. We tried Evernote. And now we've got, um, it's an enterprise system going, isn't it, really? And there's a manual part at the end. Is it perfect? No, it does what we need it to do. But looking back at all of those options, do you know what? Wave was still the perfect one. That's not progress. Wave was the perfect one. The fact that no one else could work out what to do with it was irrelevant because I did and, and it was the perfect one. Anyway, to address Alistair's points. Uh, point one, no, we don't know when Aperture will cease to function. He quotes fall 2015, fall 2017, possibly, but no guarantees. Just because it will work on the initial version of Yosemite doesn't mean that they won't bring out a sort of redefining point release of Yosemite on which it won't work. Or they just don't update it. We, we just don't know. Um, no migration process is without issues. So he says that you'll be able to transfer it. I'm sure you will. But it isn't going to be without issues. And Apple, as secretive as they are, it means that we're not likely to see it in action until after Yosemite and photos are released. Again, no guarantee of what will actually be migrated. Yes, it's likely the photos will go. Um, and I'm thinking pr from iPhoto and or an Aperture library. But is it just the photos? What about the metadata? What of the edits? And what about things like photo books for printing and stuff? I know I have, um, I, I work in a totally different way with Aperture and, and iPhoto. I don't go all in with either of them. Don't trust either of them to start with. But I have created separate iPhoto libraries and Aperture libraries just to make a book for printing. So I'd want to do something with those. Okay, let's assume that the photos will go. Will the layout of the book? We just don't know. The truth is, we just don't know. It might be fabulous. It might not. And as much as Alistair doesn't appreciate the hand-wringing, 
I don't appreciate the over-optimism of, of the other side. As he rightly says, nobody knows how photo will compare to aperture. And I don't really expect software to stay around forever either. Nothing does. But I just think it would be fair to expect a roadmap for a professional app. That in its day, so way back when it was very first released, it was a huge investment. Not just an investment in terms of money, but also an investment in terms of time. So we don't know what will happen. I love investigating new software too. And I'm sure that every Aperture user who is now completely bereft would have been excited to explore a new version of Aperture if there had been one and, you know, work out what new features are there and how they could best use it. On the one hand, it doesn't matter what the application's called, but by changing it, they wouldn't change it unless there was a really good reason. They were going to make such fundamental changes to it that it wasn't the same app. So there's that to think about. And although he may use 70% of the features, and they might be pro features too, the trouble is with figures like that, we all use a different 70%. And the fear is, even if Photos 1 ships with 70% of Aperture's features, there's still going to be 30% missing. And if that 30% covers 30% of what you do, then you're not going to be happy. Hobbyists have a big advantage over professional photographers when it comes to exploring new apps. If Photos doesn't match up to Aperture, any hobbyist, because you love what you do, you don't do it for a living, it's not your day job. So you love what you do. You'll have all the time in the world to indulge yourself and explore the options. So making suggestions to Apple, seeking solutions, even half-baked hacked-together solutions. I often find when I've got an application and it doesn't quite do what I want, that if I can make it do what I want, I get a bigger buzz out of that than if it had done what I wanted in the first place. But, and it's a big but, your livelihood doesn't rely on it. You can still pay the mortgage irrespective of what Apple do with Aperture. And right now, so can a pro. But the announcement means that every professional photographer using Aperture right now will have to change their workflow at some point. And for those people, the reality is that it's going to be such a change, it will take them time and it will cost them money, unless they are rampant hobbyists too, and they love doing it. Um, and as I say, not just in terms of new software, buying it, but also a loss of revenue while they transition. Which brings me to the point that, that people are screaming at me now. Yes, but Photos is free. I know it is, and that's rather worrying too. If they'll bin paid for apps, so if Apple will bin paid for apps, and Aperture, incidentally, is still available for sale at $54.99, so if they'll bin those paid for apps in the blink of an eye, you can guarantee they'll do just as they please with free apps. And there's a large percentage of pros, I've trained quite a lot of them, they just don't want to play around. They're not interested. It's us geeks that like to play around. I must have trained hundreds of pros on Lightroom and Aperture. And I found it quite strange that considering they loved what they did, wouldn't be doing it if they didn't love it, a lot of the people that I talked to, they really sort of suffered the software rather than embraced it. It was like, well, you know, all our stuff's digital now and we've got to use this. But oh, in the in the days of the wet dark room, they're not geeks. They don't enjoy that kind of thing. They just want it to work. Now, as Mike said, users will find a way that works for them and we all will move on. 
But as I said, it's trust. It's trust that's the big issue for me. And I don't mean trusting that an application I bought 20 years ago will still work today. I mean trusting the company that made the software and their motivations and what they've done. That That is the kind of trust I mean. I feel the pros do have a right to feel very let down. And that feeling won't change irrespective of how good Photos is or how good it isn't. Maybe another example will help because this one's got me this week, I must admit. There's been a new app announced from Real Mac Software. No doubt you've heard of Real Mac. They make Rapid Weaver, Clear and Ember. And they've just announced that they're going to be releasing a new app. No date yet, but a new app is imminent on the way. And it's called Typed and it's a markdown editor. I know, another markdown editor. How many markdown editors does the world need? One. Well, I, I do have more than one. I'll hold my hands up. I do have more than one. But I've also reached the point where I've tried that many that I am going to have to start leaving some behind because otherwise I'm just going to get myself confused. So I do have my favourites. Do my favourites change? Every now and then, yes. But I do tend to move between sort of two or three and that's it. Maybe a little history will further explain my scepticism. As I say, Real Mac make Rapid Weaver. They also made Courier, Clear, Analog, Little Snapper and Ember. Well, the first thing that didn't go down well was a decision they made to release a completely new version of Clear called Clear Plus. Now, Clear, the original version, was iPhone only. Clear Plus was iPhone and iPad. Now, it was a new app, and that, of course, meant paying again. That upset existing users. I know it usually does. But buying Clear Plus was the only way to purchase a dedicated iPad version of Clear. Now, down the line, apparently the existence of two different Clear apps confused people with them potentially purchasing the wrong version. Now, Clear Plus was released in quarter four, 2013. In February 2014, RealMap published a letter entitled Making Things Right. And in that letter, they admitted that they'd made, and this is their words, not mine, a huge mistake. They acknowledged the confusion of having two different versions. And their proposed solution was to sunset Clear Plus and make Clear, the original version, a universal app. Finally, they decided to make Clear free for two 24-hour periods so that people who had bought Clear Plus could get Clear for free. Now, the only problem with that was it failed to provide any recompense for folks who had bought both Clear and Clear Plus. If you'd only bought Clear, and you never went to the iPad enabled Clear Plus, then you were going to get an iPad version included in your original investment. If you'd only bought Clear Plus, exactly the same. You were going to lose Clear Plus, but you were going to get a free version of Clear. If you'd bought both, of course, then I guess you're, you're out of pocket. I also thought it was a little disappointing that there was no actual apology for what was their acknowledged mistake. Then there was Little Snapper, which was not an inexpensive app when it was released. It was about £40. And that was released with much fuss and then let languish a little bit, to be honest. It took screen captures, um, but at one point it had an ancillary service that ran alongside it that provided online portfolio features. And that was called Ember. And you paid extra for that. You paid £12 a year. Well, the first casualty was the online Ember service, which shut down with very little notice. Now, as I said, let languish. Not much in the way of serious updates to Little Snapper. There were incremental updates. Things were fixed. Absolutely. But not real massive features added to it. Finally, it was announced no version two of Little Snapper, but a completely new app called Ember. 
So they'd taken the name of the online service and turned it into an app. Now, to any Little Snapper user, Ember looked suspiciously like Little Snapper. Functionally, there was a lot of overlap. But crucially, the first version of Ember was missing many of the features that Little Snapper already had in version 1. Now, assurances were made that these, where appropriate, would be added to future versions of Ember. Is this sounding a little bit like the apologists explaining how photos will relate to Aperture however many months down the road? I thought so. Yeah. And in case you're wondering, there was no option to upgrade from Little Snapper. Your options were either to pay the full version for Ember, the full version price for Ember, or keep using Little Snapper until it stopped working. Of course, there was a third option, which was to move on to another app from an entirely different developer. Guess who took that option? But anyway, in December 2013, they mailed their mailing list and they explained a change of direction and a slimming down of their application portfolio. So I hunted this email out because I thought, I remember thinking at the time, well, I had my own thoughts on this at the time, but I don't remember covering it on MacBytes. So I dug this out and um, it's quite long. I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to give you the essence of what they've said and then my take on what they've done. And they've said, as we're nearing the end of 2013, I thought it would be a good time to talk about our product lineup and where we're headed in 2014. But first, I need to talk about Courier and Analog. We're a small team, eight to be exact, and having so many products has taken its toll on us. During the course of this year, it became obvious that we've spread ourselves a little too thinly. We simply couldn't give all of our products the care and attention they deserve. Something had to give. It's been hard, but we've come to the decision that as a team, we need to be more focused. And to do this, we must cut down on the number of products we sell. So then it goes on to say that Courier would, would be pulled from the App Store and no longer available slightly aggrieved I used that and I was still using it at the time uh, analog which was their photo app for desktop and iOS was going to be put up for adoption they called it and then they move on and they say um, let's talk about the future so they carry on one of the benefits of having fewer products means that we can have dedicated teams for each app Previously, our developers would hop from one product to another. If you're an Ember or Clear user, you'll hopefully have noticed the benefit of our dedicated teams already, as both of these apps get more frequent updates, and our plan is to bring this approach to Rapid Weaver too. They then produced a product matrix which covered the first half of 2014. On the Mac, they would have three applications, Clear, Ember and Rapid Weaver. And on iOS, they would have two. They would have Clear and Ember. So they talk about that for a bit and then they move on and say clear reminders are coming soon. So since the launch of Clear Plus for iOS earlier this year, we've been hard at work adding one of the most requested features, reminders. We've been working on this feature for the last few months. It's shaping up rather well. The update is due February 2014. I checked. It shipped finally to 29th of April 2014. That's not unusual in the software industry. No, but over promise and under deliver is never going to work well. Is True. True. Under promise, over deliver. Then he talks a little bit about Ember for Mac and iOS. And then it says Ember annotations coming soon to iOS. Just a few weeks ago, we launched Ember for iOS as a free app. And in January, we'll be bringing annotations to the iOS version of Ember along with a much requested blur tool. That did actually ship. I think it was almost on time too. Now, then they come onto their flagship product, which is Rapid Weaver for Mac and give a little bit of an intro and then say, with our renewed focus, we now have some huge plans for Rapid Weaver 6. 
yes, Rapid Weaver is still in development. We have some amazing things planned. You wouldn't need to have said that unless you'd had questions. Is it still in development? So I'm guessing it's been a while since version five. We were originally aiming to ship Rapid Weaver in 2013, but it just didn't happen. However, the good news is we're on schedule to ship version 6 in the first half of 2014. We'll have some more news on this early next year. In the meanwhile, if you're interested in helping the beta test, etc. So due to ship first half 2014. Then it wraps up and says, hopefully this gives you an idea of how serious and focused we are at making apps that we support the best they can possibly be. It's getting harder to stay independent. There are, seems to be fewer quality software houses around, but we're doing the best we can. We think 2014 is going to be a great year for us and our users. And then he goes on to thank everybody. Now, a couple of months after that, I got another email that said it's been a while since I've emailed and a lot has changed. And again, they reiterate what they've done. So we've slimmed down our product line to just three apps. It was a tough decision, but now the entire team is laser focused on making the products. We have the best that they can possibly be. Last week, we launched a huge update for Ember. Next up is clear. We've been hard at work adding the much requested reminders feature. It's almost ready. And if all goes to plan, it will be available later this month. So that was February. And finally, we're busy working on Rapid Weaver 6. It's shaping up to be a solid upgrade to our flagship product. So let's recap there. A little flexible in the release dates department, but then there are always unknowns in software development. A couple of months delay possibly, but I can understand Rapid Weaver users disquiet after such a long wait for version 6. But why have they decided it's a good idea to release a completely new app then? They've made the point they're a small team. They've made the hard decision to cut down on a number of apps, yes, and leave users high and dry because they needed to focus. Now, if you want me to accept your reasoning, the reasoning to kill off apps that I've bought, paid for and still use, you want me to accept that with good grace for the common good, then don't do the very opposite of what you claim you'll do and release another new app only seven months after killing off the last lot. That is my point about trust. I want to be excited and keen to try new apps, but I need to be able to trust the roadmap that's made public or I risk wasting both money and more importantly, time in testing, implementing and ultimately relying on any application. And when that time and money is professionally related, it's understandable that people feel very aggrieved. It's less to do with the actual software and just purely about trust. My trust and my patience are wearing very thin. With what's fast becoming standard practice in the world of technology, I just really don't like it. Beta blockers. Stat. And when you've taken them, do you want to talk about OneNote? Ah, OneNote, software that works. Yes, as promised, back to our deep dive of OneNote. We last talked to Kevin about OneNote in uh, show 87. We promised we'd return after we'd used it in anger for a few weeks. So here is part one of that return look. Okay, well, welcome back, Kevin. Great to have you back with us. How have you been getting on? I've been doing fairly well. I've uh, been twiddling around, as they like to say, with OneNote since we last spoke and enjoying it. Brilliant. Tell tell me more. What have you been using it for? Well, uh, as, as we've talked about before, I'm a podcaster, too. Uh, not quite at the same high level that you and Mike are. Oh, no, but... no. <laughs> <laughs> well... My my partner in crime, Mark Greentree, and I do a slightly different twist on podcasting. We're we're more about the geek stuff, and we're more about the humor. Do you mean we're not geeky and we're not funny? Oh, good grief! <laughs> no, no, no. But you're you're a little more safe for work. I could listen to your podcast at work. I couldn't listen to ours. At not work. when you're driving, and not when you're eating, but at work. 
Yes, yes, at work. Because there I don't have to be that conscious of what I'm doing. I'm just pushing buttons, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. So, but uh, the reason I say that is because I use it to store my notes because I'm the type of person that will get inspiration from the least little thing about something as a topic for the show. So what I do is I keep my notes for a geeky show ever inside of OneNote, and I use them there. I put them there, and then when I come home, uh, I have my notes there, or if I'm sitting in a meeting and it's particularly boring and I, you know, my mind wanders off. Um, I can put notes in any place, any time. And I absolutely adore the fact that moments later, boom, they're on my Mac. If I want, if I want them. So that's, that's, that's where I've been using it the most. That's where it comes in. What I had really wanted to do though, is something that you and I chatted a little bit about. And I can't, is I can't get it to sync with my corporate notebook. Ah, disaster. Yes. Mm. And that is just driving me bonkers. Now, I know there's a couple things. One, on my corporate machine, I'm using OneNote 2007. Okay. And it doesn't like to sync very well with OneDrive. So if I can get that working, then there's a chance I might be able to get it to sync down to my Mac. But I don't know. It just... It seems kind of wonky there, and I can't seem to get it to work quite, quite right. Well, do you know, I thought the synchronization was one of its best features, because since we talked last time, I'm using it on lots of platforms. I've got it on a virtual Windows machine, and I've got it on every Mac that I've got. It's on my iPhone, my iPod Touch, and my iPads, and my Android. And I have had zero problems with the syncing. So for me, I thought Evernote's been shonkier than that. Um, Evernote can take quite a while to sync, but I've thought the synchronization was one of the biggest pluses for it, one of the things they've got absolutely spot on. Obviously, I'm not using any older versions, so on every device I'm using it on, it's the very latest version, and that's where you're having a problem with it. Yeah, it's. I, I do believe a good bit of it's related to the older version. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm, I'm, I am where I'm stuck at, and there's, we're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, because I wanted to have an extra backup of my notes, too. That was one of the main reasons I just wanted to sync across. Because mm. if it syncs across, comes over and down to my Mac, if something would go wrong, I can easily put it back onto my work machine. Uh, so I'm having to do a manual backup process there. That's the only way I can do this. And, I, and I've got it set up, and it you know, it works. It's not the ideal situation, mind you, but you know, it does work. Uh, and it would be nice that, uh, the notes that I put in there would just come over and I don't have to have the web application open because when I'm at work, that's what I use is the web version. Yeah. Uh, which I think is great. I, I think I mentioned that the last time I absolutely love the idea of, of the web version. It's very simple, very clean interface from my opinion. And it does, it syncs instantly, you know, as soon as you connect up, stuff's moving around. Now, the one thing I haven't done much with uh, is I haven't been using the iPad version as much as I used to. Uh, since the since I have the Mac version and since I have the uh, web version, that's where I'm tending to work a little bit more. But now you're using it across all your devices, you say? I am. Uh it's quite strange, isn't it, that the only thing that they've added, really, was the fact that there is now this Mac version. All the rest of 
the infrastructure was already there, and yet I wasn't using it. By making that Mac version, that's tempted me in. So I think even though the Mac version is, I mean, it's nowhere near as powerful as the Windows version, and like you're saying, even the web version can do things that the Mac client can't, the fact that it is there for a Mac was what drew me into it. I am actually using the Mac version far more than any other version at the moment. The important thing for me was having the access to it. I don't know whether if I was doing like you're saying you wanted to do a backup, that's one of the things that I think is critically missing from the Mac version. There doesn't seem to be an option to just say backup. Now, yeah. I did some research and somebody said, oh, you'll find the notebooks. They're on your system, but they're in your library. And I have had the library upside down and all I can find are URL shortcuts to OneDrive where they live. So that was a bit of a problem because like you, I was thinking I'm putting all of this stuff in here and it doesn't do local notebooks, which I know for some people is a killer problem that they don't want to trust any kind of back-end system. I'm not too concerned about that. My need to have it synchronised is f far outweighs my concerns about anybody looking at it. Um, it's not critical stuff that I'm putting in it that, that's any, it's just general notes and research. So I'm not worried mm -hmm. about it from that side. But backing it up was critical and I couldn't find a way to do that. And the Windows version has that built in. So what I decided to do, what made logical sense to me was the way that this synchronization works is OneDrive. And OneDrive's also been rock solid for me. So I thought, well, it's simple. I'll just go up to OneDrive in a browser and I'll find the .one files and I'll back them up. And it wouldn't let me download them. So I couldn't do a backup that way either. Then I got the genius idea of using Goodreader, you know, for iOS. Yeah. And I thought that will connect to OneDrive. And I was assuming that Goodreader would just treat it as any other file and let me download it and then zip it into Goodreader. No, it didn't like that either. <laughs> so the backup side of things, I have found if you do want to make a backup, then the Windows version is the way to go. But I'd be interested to see if you managed to get it to back up any other way. Yeah, I I haven't tried the, the Mac version any other way. I've only tried it with the Windows version because that's where I was... Uh, I had already had quite a bit of critical data in there, so that's why I was, you know, panicking about that. And I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to get that backed up, but that's just not happening right now. I, I automated a little script to dump it to the file server and dump it to a uh, an offline uh, storage place so that I'd have it. But I did actually try to bring the version, the backup version, just a copy over and open it on the Mac and that had mixed results. So I, I, I haven't tried that since the last update and I need to try that again. I might have to do that this weekend. And here we go. You've come up with more stuff for me to do this weekend, Elaine. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that before you even think about, oh, there's this feature and that feature that both you and I are thinking and how do I back this up? Yes. We are true well, geeks. Back up first and worry about what it does later. Yeah, I, I mean, well, we all know, you know, if you don't have at least uh, three copies in two different places, you really don't have a backup. Exactly. And um, it was interesting when you were talking about um, at work that, that you've got this older version, because that is one of the problems that I remember well from my Windows days, that there were so many different versions of the apps. And in a corporate world, not everybody updates in any way in a normal way, not the way I would update on a Mac. If a new version comes out, I will update the app. 
Um, the only exception to that is when, it, in, in my mind, it's a downgrade, like I work, but we won't go there. I'll only end up crying. Um, so I do update all the time. But you make a very interesting point there that, you know, at work, you can't do anything about that. I think with OneNote, Microsoft have actually got it right. Because whereas when that was deployed at your company, it was a paid for app. So it needed to be licensed per machine. Now it's not. The whole of OneNote on every device is completely free. So really, the only thing that's stopping you with this working, with the synchronization, is the fact probably that work are choosing not to update rather than it being we're not updating because of the cost. Yeah, it's. Uh, although I might try to push them a little bit and see if I can get a newer version. I might know somebody in, uh, in in the right place that I can push a little bit harder and get a newer version, but... I'm not. I, I I'm too critical in what I'm doing right now that I can't afford to have too much downtime. But mm. I might push it a little bit harder because again, it would be the great way to back things up, is to have everything sync all the way across, and then I have a copy here. Uh, it would be the same as my backup strategy for my own data. I keep a backup copy of my hard uh, or disk clone. I mean, of my hard drive at my office because there's enough geographic separation. So that works out well. And that's the same thing I'm thinking here with this. Why not have it everywhere so when I want to open it, no matter what I'm doing? Because when I take notes, I take them a bit scatterbrained, I think. Um, you know, I, I can be typing a note for one thing and think of something else. And that's the beauty of OneNote. It's so easy to flip between tabs or subpages or something like that. Or even if you just throw it into the uh, unfiled notes it's just perfect. I mean, you can do that. It works great on every platform. Well, I can vouch for the fact that the synchronization is fantastic. I've had zero problems at all. And I can back it up from the Windows version. But that's point one for me with what's missing from the Mac version. I think that before even features, I'd like a one-click way to back it up. To just say, you know, make me an archive of everything, back it up. So th th there's a plus one from me for that. Let's have a backup button. And it sounds like you're in the same place with that. Yes. Yes, I am. But I do think that Microsoft have got it right in terms of making the applications free across every platform because then the only limitation is is your system admins, you know, when they will let you update it. But if you're like me where you're in charge, I don't have to think, oh, I've only got the license to put it on one machine or this or that. I think Microsoft have got that spot on. And bringing out this version, some people have been quite critical saying that it's a bit feature light. I think there's probably just enough there I think, obviously, I've got a list as long as your left leg of things I'd like added, and we'll come on to talk about that. But I think it's enough at the moment to tempt you into the platform. And it's beginning to feel like a platform to me that it is across every device. And it seems that that's where you, you want to head as well. Yeah, it's I mean, the interface is very clean. It's very simple. Um, I mean, it does have the ribbon bar that's somewhat ubiquitous in the Microsoft Office uh, applications, but they've really done a nice job with it. I mean, you've got the where you can easily insert the to-do lists or, or anything like that. And I all and I love the fact, and and maybe this is why it works better for me than other things have, is that wherever I drop the cursor on the page, I can just start typing. I love that. I, I mean, I that. don't have to think. Oh, I need to go here and I need to go there now. The, the the geek in me and the ADD portion of me, I have a very certain structure that I follow when I'm taking my notes that looks much more like an outline. But you know what? It works perfect for that, too. It lets me be that way. It lets me do it that way. 
So, I, I mean, it, it just, the interface is simple. The colors are nice. It's very, uh, very easy to navigate. If you have any familiarity with uh, any of the Microsoft applications, you're going to feel right at home. Um, and the idea of the sub pages is what I really love. The fact that, you know, I have an idea that's an idea from an idea of an idea. So, you know, I nest things down deeper and deeper. I wasn't doing that the last time we spoke because I was really, you'd been using it much more than me. I'd gone in and had a look on the iPad and thought, you know, there isn't a Mac version, so I'll leave it alone. I'll stick with Evernote. Since then, I have, I won't say gone all in with OneNote because I'm still of the opinion that Evernote has its place and OneNote has its place. And I am using both. It makes sense to me. I know, I know instantly which one I would pick up to, to put my notes in. Uh, if it's linear and I want it shared in a certain way and I'm doing something specific with it, then it would go into Evernote. Um, there's tiny little things that you wouldn't even think of that mean OneNote's the better place for me. One is I make notes about videos that I'm doing. And then when I go in to record that video, I want like this, these notes in front of me. And whereas when I'm sat making them, I can make them in sort of a 12 to 14 point font, I seem to go blind when I get to recording a video and need it set to 24 point font. So I take it in and it's on my iPad. And in Evernote, this is you probably would think, no way. But this is true. You go into Evernote and you zoom the window. So you do a pinch outwards. Do you know it doesn't wrap the text? It literally oh. just zooms you in as if it's a picture. So the text on the right hand side has gone. That's not good. That's the same way Safari acts now under... Uh... Well, it's always acted that way, I guess, under uh, uh, Mavericks, which is annoying as all get out. I, I find that ludicrous because if I'm zooming in, I think, look, I'm zooming in, it's text. What I'm going to want you to do is wrap that, not disappear off the end, because I can't sit here and, and you know, manually go across the page left to right to, to read the whole thing. And that's one of the things that OneNote gets right. If you zoom in, it wraps it. And that just makes completely logical sense. Now, that's a very specific requirement. And I don't think many people would find that and think, oh, no, I can't use Evernote anymore because of that. But for specific jobs, when my, my job requires that I'm looking at some notes and I have the text quite large and I want to zoom in. You see, the thing is, by making it in Evernote, I actually have to make the text larger. I have to change the size of the text. And then I go to my Mac and it's like being screamed at. But in OneNote, I can leave the text exactly as it is and just zoom in and it wraps and, and gets bigger and I don't have to worry about it. For the, for jobs like that, you know, it's OneNote that I'm going to first. So sometimes it's very specific requirements um, in those terms. But generally, I'm still using both and I don't have a problem with that. Um, how are you getting on with just having the one or, or were you never into Evernote? Well, I I haven't tried Evernote for quite a while, um, and I'm sticking with, with just the one thing. You brought up an interesting point, though, about sharing. I wanted to be able to share, uh, you know, a tab, and this is a feature that I'd really like to see them add. I'd like to be able to share a single tab. You can't do that. If no. you want to share... You have to share the entire notebook. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the secret notes that I have in there about my plans to overthrow the world, I don't want to share with everybody. <laughs> I just want to share, you know, my notes with uh, Mark or Mike on the show so that they can see what we can talk about. So that's that's a bit of a shortfall. Now, to, 
Evernote will let you share a single page, am I not correct? Or Yeah, Evernote will. Evernote will let you share a notebook at notebook level, and it will also let you share a page in a couple of ways. You can either share it with like one of these hideously long URLs that people do tend not to guess so you know, security by obfuscation with that so you could just send somebody a link and they can just read the page or if you I, I think you need the pro account to be able to share it and then the other person gets a link and it kind of adds it so you can share it in two different ways I agree with you that sometimes I'd like to share a tab I've kind of got my head around the fact of what Microsoft are thinking, which is it is actually much more simple to just share a notebook. I wondered if they would ever bring that in, so more granular sharing. I'm not seeing it, because if you think of how the architecture of this thing works, you have a notebook and the notebook is at the level of a file. And it's that notebook or that file that lives in your OneDrive and it's that that you're sharing and it transfers the whole thing across. I don't think there is a mechanism there for focusing on one section or one page and sharing it. That's probably true, but doesn't mean I don't still want it. If there was a way that you could identify the ones that were shared, so there'd need to be some kind of little flashing symbol. You know, don't put your world domination plans in this note, you've shared it. Right, right. Then it would work. But if I had to manually manage it, do you know what I mean? Remember mm -hmm. that I'd shared that one and then you'd need a mechanism for unsharing it. Then no, I'd rather share at the notebook level. I did yeah. create a notebook and I did share it. Um, I tried to do what you were talking about, which was share either a section or an individual page with Mike. And um, luckily there was nothing... Nothing dangerous in this notebook because I ended up inadvertently sharing the entire notebook. And I'd said to him, I've sent you that note with the MacBytes notes in. And he, he went in and he said, what's all this stuff about Pixelmator? And I thought, what? <laughs> I didn't share that. And then I realised what it was doing. So I, I did create another notebook. But I agree with you because then when you're working and if it's something you want to share, you might have half the stuff in your personal notebook and you have to switch notebooks and then take it with you to actually share it. So, yes, I agree with you. I would love to see that. I'm thinking, though, it's not coming anytime soon. I don't think that's their mentality. No, I, I, I don't either. I, I think you're right. But it I guess I could it it works in the way we said this the last time. The way my brain works is the tabs and the pages and all that stuff fit it. So to create a separate notebook that I would put stuff in that I would only share that's related to Geekiest Show ever would, then I'm liable to miss putting stuff in there because I yeah. tend to be in the one notebook, whether it's physical or in this case digital, it tend to be there doing what I'm doing and not, you know, oh, wait a minute, let me put that one away. Let me get this notebook out. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but. No, just, I totally get that. Yeah, I it's totally just the way things work. Well, you were talking about the interface um, and it being nice and clean. One of the huge benefits for me is that, you know, the styles that are there, particularly the heading styles. Mm -hmm. I think they look fine. They're just various shades of blue. What's speeding up my note taking is that those styles are available from shortcuts. So if by you compare it with any other note taking app, a lot of note taking apps tend to be text based, just plain text. I like the fact that I can add styles to it, but I adore the fact I can apply those styles with a shortcut key. So as I'm quickly typing up notes, I don't have to go back and then format them in a manual way. I can do that on, on the fly. Uh, also, the to do list you said when you put in a to do list, mm -hmm. I love the fact that that is on uh, command and one. 
Yes. And as soon as I do that, and it it toggles. Now, there is a shortcut if you're using Evernote to, to make something um, a checkbox. But the thing with Evernote that used to drive me insane was if I want to put a checkbox there, it's probably for a to-do because otherwise there's not really much point, is there? I want no. it unchecked and then when I've done it, I want it checked. You have to go back to the beginning of the line. So you've, you're in the middle of it and you think, oh, this is a to-do. You then have to go back to the left-hand side of it and command shift and T to put a checkbox and then go back to where you were and carry on. And in OneNote, oh, and then, of course, if you want to actually click that, there's no shortcut. You've got to use the mouse. So then I've got to go and hover over the right area and click it. But in OneNote, command and one is your friend. Um, if you command and one something, it puts a checkbox on it, irrespective of where your insertion point is. If you command and one again, it checks it. And if you command and one a third time, it takes away the checkbox. That, for me, is makes things a lot faster. You can also do that on multiple lines by selecting them and then command and one. So the fact that they've thought about the shortcut keys, and there's more than that you can remember for later and questions and stuff, and they're on different shortcut keys, but the principle remains the same. They've thought about the speed of it, and I appreciate that. Rather than the feature being there, but being very manual, the fact that they've got this shortcut key says to me, we've thought this through, and this is a faster way to do it. I don't know if you... If you are you a shortcut person? I float back and forth. There are some things that I shortcut key, and there are other things that I that I mouse. Um, it might be the the weird wiring in my brain, but I, I do tend to uh, applications as I use them more and more. I develop that muscle memory, and I do use shortcut keys. But then there are other things that to me are just simpler to do via the mouse. Hmm. So I'm half and half. We'll say. I like the fact it's there. So if you know when I when I'm typing and I'm in typing mode, I appreciate that that's there. It makes it feel to me as though they've thought through the productivity side of it, which is critically important. Well, and the other time that I tend to be more the the other good thing about knowing shortcut keys is, you know, God forbid your mouse would die or your trackpad would die or something like that. Mm. That uh, it's always handy to have <laughs> that knowledge so that if you're you know if something dies part the way through the process, you can you can jump around and get where you need to be because there's nothing more frustrating than that than have to go hunt up batteries or something like that at the wrong time. I I love my shortcut keys, I do. And if there's something that I'd like on a shortcut key, rather than do it at system level, at system level it would have to be available from the menu and then you go into the system preferences and you can add a shortcut key to the keyboard section. What I tend to do is keyboard maestro and I have a section for each application and then if I want some extra shortcut keys I put put them in there and then that, that synchronizes my Dropbox and then it, they're available on all my machines so I love that system but I do like my shortcuts I could probably add some more shortcuts but I'm appreciative of the fact that they're there um, so, so that was um, so shortcuts yes and I like the, the to-do stuff I like you using it for general notes uh, and course research and you mentioned putting things anywhere on the page and it's yes. surprising once you get used to that it's surprising how limited it feels when you're in an application that's very linear because I like you at the moment what I'm looking at is um, a page in OneNote and it's got two columns in it and I've got the stuff that we're talking about on one side, and I've got some extra notes on the other side. And I think you get used to that very quickly. Yes, it's 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 very handy. And then that way when you drag stuff in, I mean, I've always been a bit of a doodler when I take notes. And that's maybe why this works good for me, because I just start writing wherever I happen to be on the page. 
I don't want to have to think about it. And that's the way OneNote works. Yeah, it's um, far more flexible than when it's got a nonlinear layout. And you can, of course, drag elements and, and containers around the entire screen to make sense of it. And I think the implementation on a Mac of that from the Windows version is perfect, isn't it? Yes, it is. It works very well. You can move stuff around because then I've resorted. It's almost like doing a mind map in your notes after the fact, mm. I, I guess is the way I think of it. You can drag these around and say, well, it makes more sense if I'm talking about this here and here. It, it, it almost was the basis for one writing project I was working on, which is a secret. We're not supposed to talk about that. Okay. But, World um, domination again, isn't it? Yeah. Shh. <laughs> uh, you're safe. You're on the good list. Okay. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I do, uh, I do like that fact because then it lets me do that mind mapping. And I know there are people out there shouting at their devices, but go get a mind mapping app. Well, yeah, I'm just not there. I'm just, this is what I'm dealing with and this is what works for me. And it's, that's always the key to any application. What works for you? Oh, I've, I've got dedicated mind mapping apps and I've got uh, Scapple, which I love as well, and Tree, which is an outlining thing I adore. But for me, OneNote is general notes. It's the way that you're saying, if something comes into your head and you just want to put it down, and for that, it's perfect. I don't want to have to think... If you, if you say to me, right, well, you've got this mind mapping app, and I do, and it's great, and I've got half a mind map made, fantastic, and now I've had an idea. Where did I put that mind map? <laughs> if I've got to go and get the mind map to open it up, I'll have forgotten what the idea was. Yeah. So for me, OneNote is like a rough book. We used to have a concept at school called a rough book, and it was like... Um, a book that you carried everywhere with you, like a notebook. It wasn't specific to an individual subject. It wasn't your science book or your French book. It was just this rough book that all your ad hoc notes went into. And for me, that's what OneNote is. Yeah. So I don't know if you ever had that concept in, in school in the States. Yes, we had something uh, a lot of times here. People called it field notes. Ah, yeah. Well, we ours are called rough books, but same principle. Yeah, it was just a little notebook you carried around and uh, did horrible things to and wrote notes in it. Yeah, we, we weren't allowed to do horrible things. I remember I drew, um, a, a, I think it was Bambi on the cover of mine and, and got carpeted for it. Yes, you know, we weren't allowed to do things like that, but that would have been fun. I haven't put Bambi on my OneNote, but it's an idea. I think you it's should. I think you should need to put Bambi right there as a title or something like that. I'll get right onto that. <laughs> <laughs> what we did, what we did to Bambi in OneNote. Oh. Well, since our first look at OneNote, there's been a few updates. Yes. Do you remember us saying there was no printing? Yes. They added it. I know. Have you used it? No. No, I me have, neither. I, haven't, I think it's a great idea, and I'm sure there'll come a time where I need to, but that's part of the the, the beauty of uh, digital notes. I don't have to print them out. I don't. Exactly. That was my thought. I think it's like a comfort blanket. I'm. It, it's like you're on a plane. And there's a life jacket. But you hope you're not going to need it. It's that thing. It's there, but no, I haven't used it. The thing was, I had more of a need to use it when it wasn't there. In my mind, I thought, mm, I'd like a PDF of this. And I had to do the old send it via email and then drag and drop the PDF out. But now it's there. I haven't used it once. But thank you for adding it. That was very kind. <laughs> now the panacea is there. I don't actually need it. But yeah. th that was great. One of the things they updated that I found, I was desperate for by the time they updated it. Remember inserting an image and you had to go to the insert menu and then go navigate to it? Mm -hmm. And what we all wanted to do was drag and drop it. Yes. They added the drag and drop. Is yeah. that something you're using? Uh, yes, I have used that to some extent. We won't talk about the images that I've put in there. 
<gasps> no, we best not. No, they have maps and stuff of the world and how I'm going to do it. But they, no, I do like the drag and drop feature. Uh, it works very well when I want to grab something because a lot of times I'll be doing research on something and uh, humor is a great way. I, I, I joke, but humor is a great way to make a point when you have to. And I'll find some cartoon or something like that that I want to go in there that helps me make my point. This may end up in a presentation at some point and just being able to drag it over and drop it. Because I was using screen capture and all this other business to do it instead of what you were doing to, to get an, uh, you know, an image inside of OneNote. It was taking a screen capture, doing that, pasting. It was all a, it was a convoluted workflow. Sure. It just, it, for me, when I moved to a Mac, I remember saying right back at the beginning, it just works like I expect it to. I tried things. One of the things I tried, oh, six, seven years ago, I'm sat there in Keynote and I've got a Photoshop file on my desktop and I'm thinking, I need this Photoshop file to go into Keynote. And I thought, so I'll have to open up Photoshop and export it as a PNG and resize it. And I forgot, I forgot that this file on my desktop was a, a Photoshop file. And I just clicked it and dragged and dropped it into Keynote and before I realised it opened and I thought oh wow what I can just drag and drop a Photoshop file into Keynote that's awesome and I think by adding that feature as a priority rather than maybe going for other things that that maybe is an easier sell for Microsoft you know we've added the ability to build a rocket ship with it <laughs> yeah it seems silly on on the release notes doesn't it you can drag and drop images and people are like what you couldn't do that already well no but at least they've added it and to me that's been a huge improvement I didn't realize how often I did that yeah and it, it won't be things like photographs and stuff it would be maybe um, like you say a screenshot of something that I've taken and I put an annotation on it I use Snagit to take screenshots and it, it's brilliant for a putting annotations on and then that'll be a demonstration you know so this is a picture of, of the pretty dog and what I want to do with it is this and I'll mark it up and then I'll want to put that with the notes that I've taken for the demonstration so I'll want to drag and drop it in and Snagit's great at dragging and dragging and dropping but I was reaching this like brick wall with one note initially that I then had to put it onto my desktop and then go insert picture and then go find it so Thank you, Microsoft, for adding that one. That's really changed my workflow. Yeah, it does. Did you notice what they did to links? No, I didn't. They It was in the release notes, and I must admit, I wouldn't have noticed either if I hadn't have read the release notes. I am the one person who reads the release notes, you realise. <laughs> um, it said improvements to internal links and named links. What's a named link? I didn't know either. Yeah. Have you any idea? No, not a clue. No. You know when you're in a word processor and you want to put a link to a website? Yeah. You can select some text and the shortcut key tends to be, and this is Word, Pages, doesn't matter, Command and K. Right. And it allows you, it brings up a dialog box, it usually puts in where it says text. This is the text you want displayed and it picks up what you had selected. So if I've got, I'm talking about MacBytes and I highlight the word MacBytes. The second element in the dialog box says, and where do you want this to go? Well, where's the link? So I put macbytes.co.uk and then I click OK and I get some text that's underlined. And when I click it, it goes to macbytes. But that text remains editable. So I don't actually have to put the whole link in. If you imagine that what you're writing or what you're putting in your notes is check out this book from Amazon. And the link is like 300 characters long. Right. Previously, you had to paste that whole link in. And if you didn't do that, you didn't have the link. 
But now you can actually take a long, long, long URL like that and Command and K and you can call the link what you like. So the display of it is much, much better. And because it works with Command and K and I love my shortcut keys, mm -hmm. I've been doing that a lot. And it also works for the internal links. Are you using the wiki links in it? No, I haven't done that either. You're getting way ahead of me now. Oh, you're going to love this because you have lots of pages. You build a structure, don't you? Yes. You can right click on any page or any section or any sub page, tab, whatever you want to call it. And there's an option to copy the link to the page. Ooh. And then you can go elsewhere. So back to the page that you were on mm -hmm. and you can paste that in. Oh. And what it will paste in. So I've got um, a page here called MacBytes Notes. If I right click on that and copy and then I go to another page and I just paste in, I will get the text MacBytes Notes. But when I click it, it will take me to another place within OneNote. Oh, how handy. I like that. That is awesome. Once you start doing that, you'll start building up your own little index pages and stuff. All right. There it's goes crazy. this afternoon. Yep. So that's this morning gone and now this afternoon. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'm, I'm aiming for um, <laughs> the holiday on Monday as well. Yes. <laughs> that, that is something that they did add and, and that is awesome. I think the thing is, it's discoverability. How would you know that that was there? It's not obvious that that's there. No, that's... And, and that's true. That's one of the things that Microsoft tried to do with the ribbon thing is to expose the stuff that's there that you didn't normally see that was buried, you know, three and four levels deep. So that's interesting, though. I'll have to play around with that. I, I think it's a good idea for them to do that. But, yeah, I need to take a course or something now on OneNote, I think. <laughs> I'll have to put one together. Uh, Evernote does a similar kind of thing, and I have actually done that. When I put a course together, I do put half the stuff in Evernote. I, I need to discuss what this my, my course creation much more deep, deeply because um, it's crazy. But in Evernote, you can actually select a group of notes and drag and drop them to another note, and it cr generates an index. So I think maybe that's where Microsoft are coming from. This, this whole internal wiki link type of system would allow you to build an index page rather than relying on the structure at the side. So you could have it structured one way, but then create an index page in a different way. And that is actually what I do. I do take the time and I build an index page and it makes working with the thing a whole lot easier. I guess what's different for me from you is where I would build that kind of index. It's pre-structured. I know what notes I've got and yeah. what, what I'll have. So I'm looking at here at one for Pixelmator. And it's a course that I'm doing. It's got five, six sections to it. No, seven sections to it. So I have a page at the top level for each section. And then underneath that, I have one page for each video within the section. I can put this together before I start doing any research. And then I have a place to put my research. Whereas what you're saying is you're making notes on the fly as it comes into your brain. Yes. So I think having that kind of index structure set up pre-setup probably isn't going to work for you well there i mean there are cases where i would be doing research and that might work but yeah i do i do make notes on the fly and then i just drop them in uh, but i do find as, as i use the application more and more i tend to think about how it's going to fit together you know for the long term because just like we said last time with paper notebooks this is something that i'm going to keep for a long time and refer back to Yep. And, and the search feature is brilliant. You can find anything anywhere in the, in your in your notebooks. That's the great. That's a great thing. So 
I, I do try to add some structure to them so that, God forbid, something happens, somebody needs to find a note in these for me that, you know, they don't think what is wrong with him. He was, <laughs> you know, I think about those things. But, I can honestly say I don't, but now you've mentioned it, that is my afternoon gone. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want Mike going through your notes and going, why is she doing it? <laughs> Mike knows how strange I am, luckily. Oh. <laughs> okay. So. No, I think that is a good feature. You made you mentioned um, searching, and um, I think the search is really underrated in OneNote. I know the search in Evernote is fabulous. And if you, if you use Evernote, the search is fabulous. I'll give you that. It's even better if you put your tags in, uh, you know, and you've got your titles and all the things that you can search through. By comparison, that little search box in OneNote looks as though you're thinking, no way, that's just not going to be as, as powerful. And in some ways it's not, because you may have things tagged in some kind of way and you can't search for that. So that, that potentially is a problem. Where it comes into its own is, there's a shortcut key. Here I am with my shortcut keys again. <laughs> Have you ever noticed at the top in the Mac version, if you use Command and F, it changes the text in that box to say search this page? Oh, now I have to try that. Go go oh, try that. Oh, yes, there you go. Now that will search just this page. So straight away you've limited your search to just this page, which I love. But if you do Command, Option and F, okay, and then look at the text in the box... Search all notebooks. Search all notebooks. So from the same place with just a different shortcut key, you get two completely different things. When you're searching all notebooks, and this for me is amazingly awesome. So I'm going to search for something I've got in here. So I've got Pixelmator in here extensively. It brings up the results and it actually categorizes them. So it says results from all notebooks. And then it says in title... And I've got five notes that have the word Pixelmator in the title. And then the next section down says on page. And on the page, I've got 23 notes with the word Pixelmator. But it even gets better than that. Just, I'm still on the keyboard, not touch the mouse at this point. If you use the arrow keys, you can navigate down the search results. And it previews them in the main OneNote window. You tried oh, that? No, no, no. We have to do this. Oh, We've got to do this live, Kevin. Let, let's get your reaction. Oh, this is amazing. I love like Oh. It. There goes the night now. Hey, fantastic, Patrick. <laughs> I just think that is so, so handy. Instead of looking at the results, because the results are... Like, I've got one that the, the, the note is called Pixelmator. And um, it's in my main notebook, and it's in a section called Videos. That means nothing to me. I have no idea what the, what that means. But when I hover over it, or you know, move my arrow keys down, I instantly get a preview of the page, but I've not navigated to that page. So, if you then hit the escape key, it takes you back where you were when you started that search. So it's a fantastic way of going to look at another note and then return to where you were without ever actually leaving where you were. Yes, I do. I like that. Oh, that's just amazing. I had not played with that that much. Mm. Well, what I how I found it was, I thought, oh, is it command and F or is it command and something and F to do a search? And I did the command and F and then I, I tried one of the other ones and the text changed and I thought, oh, you're kidding me. Oh, good grief. That means I don't have to go up to the menu and look for it. I, I haven't even done that, you know. Is the search available from the menu? 
There is, and it says, edit, find, search this page, or search all notebooks. And that means you've got to click one, two, three. You've got to click either three or four times for that. Mm -hmm. But it, with those shortcut keys, no mouse needed at all. So do you think that's worth a MacBytes? Ooh. I can do that. Ooh. There that's you go. very, very good. I think we're going to have to switch our oo for your oo. <laughs> No, it's the little things like that, that that just make you appreciate it so much, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and again, it, you, the, the little touches, as you said earlier, they're really trying to develop a uh, an ecosystem here for people. Exactly. And, it's a platform. Right. And I, and I think that's wonderful. I, You know, it never hurts to have more competition, and none of these things work the same way or exactly the same way, and they all have their own purpose. But if they fit your purpose, that's when you... That's when you hit home, hit a home run, as they say. Exactly. So as I said, that was part one of our OneNote Redux. Part two is coming next week. Next week. My work here is done. So how are you getting on with OneNote? Yeah, I'm doing all right with it, actually. Um, I'm still using Evernote. I've started using OneNote. And as yourselves and Kevin and various other people have said, there's definitely room for using two it's not one or the other and what i'm doing is i'm using a single notebook which i've called mike's notebook which is hosted on my own personal onedrive account can you get to that from work though i can i use it in a browser and that's partly the reason i'm using it i mean i could have used evernote like that and i did use evernote like that because i could use evernote in a browser and i can use evernote at work on ios devices but i think OneNote, to, to be able to use OneNote, for me, I had to have that capability to use it anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Yeah, rather than trying to use multiple notebooks, I'm just using one notebook. Um, so I'm storing stuff for work, I'm storing personal stuff, nothing private, nothing personal like finance. So, you know, there's nothing nothing to hide in there. It's stuff like course running orders, ideas for blog posts and so on and so forth. Now, as I said, I'm using the Windows version, I'm using the Mac version, I'm using a browser, I'm using an iPad. Basically, it depends where I am and what devices I have. And one of the things I like, like Kevin says, is you can just click and type. You don't have to actually start at the beginning of the page. You can just click and click somewhere else. And it is like having a blank piece of paper. And another thing which, again, you two uh, talked about was subpages. Um, which I started using this week because what I did is I found I had too many sections in in my work notebook. I had a section for link, a section for OneDrive, a section for SharePoint Online, a, share, a, share, a, a section for Office 2013, a section for iPad. So what I did is I rearranged it all under a single section, which I called Collaboration which is the name of the project I'm on. And then I've just created lots of pages and subpages because that makes sense to me. And I think that you just use it the way it makes sense to you, which I think I think you guys said, there's no hard and fast rule. Just use just use it like a notebook. Nobody nobody says to you, here's um a notebook with you know paper notebook, use it like this. You just use it the way you the way suits you. Now, I don't actually plan to share it with anyone. Um, it's all my own stuff, but sharing at a section level would be better than sharing as a notebook level, I think. 
Yeah. As I said with Kevin, though, I think there's a problem with that, that you wouldn't know that you'd shared it. Or it'd get complicated that you'd have to have an indication on each tab whether you had it or not. Well, have a little indicator. You know, um, OneDrive, OneDrive for business. I don't know about OneDrive personal because I, I don't share, but certainly OneDrive for business. You've got a little padlock or a little two-person head, which indicates that it's not shared or shared. So, you know, they could easily implement that against the tabs. So you want more, really? I want more, really, yes. Check check boxes. <laughs> check boxes I, I've discovered. Well, discovered. They were there on the ribbon. You know. But I started using this week. Handy for making a checklist because I'm doing a course this week with a very complicated setup. So I've created myself a, a checklist for setting it up. Now, I tend to not to use the shortcuts because I can't remember them all, unlike you. I find a lot of them are very logical. Uh, the one that trips me up every time is there is a dedicated shortcut key to make a new page underneath the current page rather than at the bottom of the page stack. And there's another one to make a sub page and I get confused with the two. But apart from that, they're all pretty logical. The table feature's good as well. I've been using that today for creating a running order. And what, the, what I would like, going back to yes, I want more, is a way of exporting it to Word. Doesn't the Windows version do that? It might well do. I'll check tomorrow. But There's something to come back on yeah, next week. Because by the time we'd actually got round to, to thinking about the, the notes for this and what I was going to say, I'd actually shut the Windows machine down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and rebooting it would have taken the rest of the evening, it so would, you didn't bother. It would. So, yes, that is that is my take on um, my limited... Um, I was going to say knowledge, knowledge. Um, my limited experience of OneDrive. OneNote. OneNote. Did I say OneDrive? Remember? Yes, OneNote. Yes. I'll say that again. Too many I? ones. Yes. <laughs> no, don't bother. Okay. No, no, Should no. We move on. We're Let's professional. move along. We'll just move on. They won't notice. No. Trust me. Anyway, we're moving on to the app review. Uh, this time I promised to talk about the app that I use to save the cost of a $100 a year subscription, and that app is DropShare. So let's start by going back a couple of years and seeing what the requirement was that I had. I wanted to share files instantly with people, uh, generally publicly, so not specific people. Um, I wanted to share with a group when I was doing some training. Uh, I wanted a link created automatically and put onto the clipboard, and preferably a shortened link and then when the users clicked that link, it would have been nice if they'd gone to a branded page. Wanted quite a lot, didn't I? You weren't asking for much then, were you? Back then I was, actually. Hmm. It's a little bit like the instant sharing of screenshots, but extended to all file types. And the first thing many people say when I get that far is, why don't you just use Dropbox? And I, I tried it, but it's not instant. You have to navigate to the required folder although you could do something about that. Then you've got to wait for it to upload and then you've got to manually copy the share URL. So that was why I didn't use Dropbox. Now, there were two options initially. There was Dropler, which was incredibly popular because it was free at first. There are now no longer free accounts of any description. There is a trial, which I think is 30 days, but there are no free accounts. So the cheapest that you could get Dropler now would be $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. That would give you one user, unlimited drops and two gig maximum per, per file. To be honest, that's, that's not bad compared to the rest of them. So hold on to the, the idea of that being the cheapest you'd get it for, which would be $50. 
Then there's a pro account, which is $9.99 a month or $99.99 a year. Again, one user, again, unlimited drops and a two gig maximum size per file. But you also get custom branding, custom domains, embedded drops and all sorts of little extras. And then they've got a team account, which is $9.99 per user per month. And the only difference with that is that you can have two to 50 people in your team. That'd be expensive for 50. It would. That's 500 a it month. It would, but I'm, it? yeah, but they're assuming enterprise, aren't they? True. I don't think it's the kind of thing that people would tend to have in an enterprise, though, no. because of security issues. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I was reading on, I think it was their site, or it might have been a, a, another site, one of the other apps you're going to talk about, but it was saying it was this, 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 secure, this, secure, that, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And I thought, you know, all the security and the company I work for still wouldn't go go for it. No, I, I, I would ignore anything it said about security because, you know, anything can be hacked. No, I don't think it's... Having the ability to share a screenshot at enterprise level, yes, obviously. Sharing files, nice idea, but like you're saying, security-wise, I, I can't see many going for it. SharePoint. They'd want something like SharePoint, their own mm. controllable portal of some description. But the option's there. The other app was CloudApp. Now, it was CloudApp that I went with, but CloudApp's gone strange. I've still got an account, uh, and I went to it to check the price. In my head, I'm sure I paid about 22 to £25 pounds for a year. And for the amount of time that I used it, you know, the number of times in live sessions that I used it, uh, that that was fine. I was prepared to pay that. When I went to CloudUp, I wasn't logged in and you can't even see the prices without an account. Now, never fear. I've got the lowdown for you. But be warned, even if you do create an account and you do log in, you could still be seeing something that other people aren't seeing because Mike and I both have accounts and we got two very different ranges of options presented to us when we did log in. Uh, Mike had more options than I did and the prices were even slightly different. And we have no idea why. We use the same browser on the same network and we got two completely different pages. But the difference with CloudUp is there is a free account and that will give you 10 uploads per day with a maximum of 25 meg per upload. That's not actually bad for free because Droplet has no free option. Um, the problem for me was they were, they were branded CloudUp. So a free account would brand it CloudUp all over it. Now they then have three or between the two of us, we found three different types of account, didn't we? We did. They've got three other accounts called Rain, Storm and Hurricane. Uh, the Rain account would be the equivalent of what I had had, which, again, I paid about £25 for. That was $825 a month if you paid for the year or $10 a month if you paid monthly. Now, that gives you unlimited file uploads per day with a maximum of 500 meg per file. And it said low transfer limit, but it didn't say what it was. But you could have a custom domain, you could have annotations, and there was no branding. The difference in the Storm uh, account is $25 a month if you pay annually, $29 a month if you don't. And again, unlimited files per day, but now you can transfer three gig files. I'm sure your ISP will love that. Mm, not. A uh, medium transfer limit, but again, didn't say what it was. And a few other bits and bobs. But the Hurricane account, which I wasn't offered at all, but Mike was, go figure, $79 a month 
or $90 a month Ouch. if you pay annually or not. Yes, that's <laughs> what I thought. <laughs> Are you kidding? What, what on earth do you get for that? Uh, unlimited files per day, 5 gig max per file, a high transfer limit, didn't say what. And the other stuff was the same. So custom domain, no branding, premium support, annotation, commenting, whole lot. So I gave that up as a bad job when I saw those prices. I just wouldn't use it enough. If if you do, and it's enterprise, fabulous. But no, not. Because I sat down and worked it out. Cheapest I could get what I needed was $49.99, but I'd have to change to Dropler. And um, the top whack on CloudApp was $1,080. Yeah, that's what I thought. This is where Dropshare comes in, which is an app from the Mac App Store, which is currently £2.49. It works exactly the same as Dropler and Cloud App. So what all three of them do is install and run as a menu bar app. And what you do once it's running is you put your configuration options in, so your account details, and you drag and drop to upload a file. And it could be an image, it could be a text file, it could be anything, it's any kind of file. It uploads it in the background and then it automatically adds the share URL to your clipboard. Now, you can use custom URL shorteners and and I'm now talking, that's that's how they all work. But now I'm talking about Dropshare. So you've got your custom URL shorteners. You can have custom branding on the upload pages. So you've got a couple of options there. You can go with the Dropshare branding. You can go with no branding at all. So it literally just links directly to the file and they've no idea that Dropshare is powering it. Or you can take um, as a starting point one of their templates and you can customise the life out of it, which is what I did. And I thought this looks fabulous. So it's completely branded. If you wanted it for your blog, for instance, you could brand it to look identical to your blog. Uh, Very simple to do. You can also have queued uploads. So you can drag and drop more than one file to the icon and it will just upload them in a sequence. You've got access to your recent upload history from the menu bar. You can just click it to access the file or you can click to copy the link. You've got a one-click way to delete the file from the server. So just right-click on it and delete the file. That deletes it um, from the history locally and also remotely from wherever it is, which is great to be honest because it means you don't have to log in and do it manually. And in addition to uploading files, you can use images and text directly from the clipboard. So if you've copied something and just want to share it, you don't have to take the time to stop and make a file and then drag and drop the file to upload it. You can just upload the contents of your clipboard straight away. Now, you can set it to automatically upload screen captures, but be careful. I'm sure I've said this before. If you're like me, when you're buying something, you do a quick screen cap you know, to make sure you've got, usually for me, it's where Amazon say guaranteed tomorrow delivery. And I see it sometime the back end of next week. So I capture the bit that says guaranteed, because if I've got that, I can get onto support and they'll give me a month of prime free because they've missed their their deadline date again. But, you know, it may have credit card details on it or something personal. So be very careful with that upload. Now, obviously, because what you're doing with this one is buying an app and not subscribing to something, there are no maximum files per day and there's no maximum transfer limit. So I can I can imagine what you're thinking. What's the catch? It's simply that you provide your own cloud space. 
Now, it couldn't be easier to do via something like S3, and there's a free tier from Amazon. So if you're uploading a few screenshots or something like that, it would cost you nothing. And if you're uploading more, I use S3 quite a lot, but I don't think I've ever had it go over about $10, $20, something like that. You get a lot of data storage and a lot of transfer for, for pennies from Amazon. And the good news is it works perfectly. Now, as I say, I used to have a Cloud App Pro account, but when the price tripled in a year, I, I looked at my usage and I thought it's not worth it. So um, last week on the show, I talked about sharing from Desk Scribble without using the inbuilt options, which were Flickr, Facebook and Cloud App. And how I do that within DropShare, there is an option to upload screenshots saved to a specific location. Now, what I do is I don't set that folder to be the screenshot folder. I set it to be another completely independent folder. Now, what you could do, you could either do that, take that approach where you have this dedicated uploads folder, or you could have the dedicated uploads folder and use something like Hazel to copy to that upload folder from a range of sources. And that way you get the best of both options. And that's what I've done. So I've got this uploads folder. And when I'm doing a demonstration, anything that I'm creating live during the demonstration that I then want to share, I just drag and drop it into the uploads folder and it struts its stuff in the background and I'm unaware of it until I get the ping, which can be configured on and off. And once I've got that link on my clipboard, I can go into my conferencing software and say, and here's the link to that file. And it's instantly available to my attendees. So I've swapped something that could conceivably cost you over $1,000 for the enterprise one and replaced it with a £2.49 app. And it's working better, to be honest. Now, I did install it for you, but uh, you forgot, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I forgot I had it. I, for I also forgot I had um, yeah. the other one, Cloud App Account. But it's, you know, it's, it, that happens a lot, doesn't well, it? Well, it's a case of if you don't use it, you forget about it. And I've got no one to share my files with apart from you and... I use Drop Zone for that. You're playing for the sympathy vote now, aren't you? Oh, I'm Johnny Got No Mates. Right. I did. I did mention when you'd forgotten getting a, a a trained chimp to keep me company. Yeah. Who would be as interested in the software as I am? But never mind. Well, that's it for this episode of Mac Bytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. There's also a contact form on the website. Or you could send us an audio file. We have an audio file next time, don't we? We do. We do. At last. It's been it's been a while. We have two, actually. Oh, good. Even better. Don't but just because we've got two doesn't mean that we don't want to hear from you. Yes, you, dear listener. We want to hear from you. And uh, how about leaving us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk? We didn't get a comment last week, did we? No. No. Bereft. Feeling unloved. We are. So, yes. Oh, we're talking of loved. Oh, nice segue there. Don't forget to keep sending us your Mac Love Bites. Leave us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook and circle us on Google+. There's also a newsletter. We shamefully didn't send one out last week, but I'm sure you can forgive us for that little oversight. Uh, so you can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. You can also follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash thomasmike. Oh, the teeth are under control. Mm. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash series. So until next time, this has been Elena Mike, bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. You've been quiet today. I thought you might have gone on holiday without me. Don't mention holidays.
She's got a major and brewing about the iOS holiday calendar. I look forward to hearing about that. Me too. Next, Next week. week.